You know, worship is not, um, it's not just beautiful singing. And hey, Tim and Rach, they're also from Bendigo. Good to see you guys. Worship isn't a warm-up for the main event. Uh, worship is our opportunity to engage with God in a divine embrace. Where we come like little kids and we say, Oh, Daddy. And he's like, come here. And when we understand what the Father is like, that he's always happy to see us, that he's not looking at us and tolerating us, loving us because he has to, but that his delight is absolutely in us, that he is the Father Jesus described in the story of the prodigal son. Every time we take a step toward home, feeling like a hopeless hypocrite, he's there running towards us with face beaming, getting all excited, saying, angels, angels, look up, they're gorgeous. They're so beautiful. And when you get a revelation of how he feels about you, worship becomes the thing you live for. It's the place where you find the fountain of life that sustains you. The Bible says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's not a works thing. It's the... We get to breathe in the oxygen of heaven that makes me alive. Hallelujah. I get to drink deeply of the river of his pleasure for me. And when you know and understand that in his presence is fullness of joy, when you understand that he makes his face shine on you, that he lifts up your head so that you can see his face, not to give you an impression of his disapproval, but when, he look, when you know that he looks at you, and he, ju he, he, he judges you as one who is as righteous as he. When you believe that salvation has purchased for you the righteousness of God in Christ, that you have been made as righteous as God. And you are able to approach him without fear, without shame. The Bible tells us that if we, in 1 John 3, that if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive. Yay! First John 4.17, as he is. We have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, we don't have to be afraid of being judged because he's already been judged in our place. And when we really let ourselves believe it, then we can begin to enter into the abundance of joy that God wants us to be living in. I so appreciated Chris's message this morning about peace because I, I, am st I still and cannot get away from unpacking righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom of God. It's the fullness of the kingdom, righteousness, peace and joy. They are the gifts of God. When the angels announced that Jesus was coming, they said, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. He came to reconcile man to God so they'd no longer have to be afraid, no longer to have a, a hangover of guilt that somehow made them worry that one day their sins would all be exposed. But he came to separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west, to, to promise never to recall them again and to make our crooked places straight, to, get, to take away our crookedness, our iniquities, and give us a new heart, that we would be born again, not of Adam, but of the last Adam, Jesus himself.
made compatible to be joined to God. Light can have no fellowship with darkness, so he came to make us as righteous as he is. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. And even if our hearts condemn us, he's greater than our hearts. And his heart is to release in us faith to believe in his goodness. That's why I love this prayer in Ephesians 3 so much. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Paul prays, I bow my knee before our Father in heaven, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You belong. That you may be strengthened with might in your inner being by his Holy Spirit. That you may be able to comprehend together with all the saints. And, you know, there is an aspect of the love of Christ that can only be understood together with all the saints. It's not just you and God. He designed for love to be experienced together with all the saints. Isn't that lovely? That we would know Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. That we'd understand that we've been set free from me. Hallelujah. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Yay! That we'd have a power to comprehend this reality. Hooray! That we would be rooted and grounded in his love. That we'd be able to comprehend what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. The love of Christ that passes human understanding. Like, it's an ocean. The height, the depth, the width, the breadth. You just get lost in the middle of it. Absolutely saturated. Filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God. So that there is no room left for anything but perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. That sounds like peace. When you know you're accepted in the beloved, you are named, you're accepted, you are righteous. You, ha- you can live in perfect peace. Hallelujah. And out of that perfect peace, we can enter into the fullness of joy. Hooray! Peace that passes understanding that's not circumstantial, but is deep and abiding. That peace that Stephen had when he was being stoned to death. It says his face shone like that of an angel. Why? Because he was drinking deeply of the river of God's pleasure for him. Oh, so seriously, you need to tap into that. (sighs) is my life source. It's true. Anyway, that's not what I was going to preach, but praise the Lord. I want to talk to you about Galatians chapter 5. Have you got your Bibles? What time do I have to be done, Liam? Three o'clock? Six. Brilliant. (laughs) We get a Q&A, right? Quarter past three. Brilliant. Sorry. Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, you can go to Ephesians 2, it's good, but Galatians is where we are together. Galatians 5 verse 1, has someone got it? Call it out. That's it? (sighs) All right. It's for freedom that we've been set free. Hey, so don't let anything steal that freedom from you. In other words, it means that there is a capacity that that could happen. That the enemy, he comes to steal. 
kill and destroy. He wants to take our peace. Psalm 40 verse 4 says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. You know, the enemy comes and he comes to us to lie to us, to whisper in our ears and to try to distract us, try to deceive us. And um, we need to recognize that it's important that we don't turn aside to lies. You know, um, has anyone ever been in a shopping mall where they are offering free samples? Ladies, just, just try this free sample. And the moment you turn aside, what happens? Can I interest you in? There's no such thing as a free sample. There's always a hook. The moment you turn aside, they, they want to draw you deeper. They want to draw you in, right? Um, and, you know, the enemy, this is the way he works. He's always trying to get us to turn aside. But blessed are you when you don't turn aside to lies. You might hear a lie, but instead of panicking about it, recognize the truth and respond like Jesus did and begin to speak the truth. Hallelujah. It's a little bit like my iPhone. I, I have a phone, it's a 6S or something. Apple, it's good, it's big. I like it. But when I first got it... I didn't know you had to shut down all the apps. And I'd have like 100 apps just ticking away in the background. And then I'd complain to my husband, it's like running out of battery really quick. And he'd, he'd look at my phone, he'd go, Catherine, you've got like so many apps open. All you have to do is just like, you just click here and you just swipe them away like this. Swipe it away. I was like, oh, okay, I like that. Swipe them away. And it's a little bit like that when it comes to the lies that the enemy puts around us. You know, if we don't close them down, they just tick away in the background, draining your battery, filling up space that God wants to fill. And I've been speaking a lot recently about uh, communion. I've been taking communion at night time before I go to sleep. And I, I just have those little travel ones with the little, it's all in one. You, you can buy them online, the little wafer and the it's handy for me because I'm not that organized that I'd always carry with me juice and bread. So I carry these little little ones with me and I put it beside my bed in the morning so that I remember at nighttime I'll take it before I go to bed. And at nighttime I unpack. I unpack my heart to make sure that there's no little foxes spoiling the vine. It's, it's making room in my heart to to fully experience the abundance of peace and joy that God wants me to live in. The freedom he's given me is to live in supernatural peace and supernatural joy, in righteousness, peace and joy. This is the kingdom. But we often don't experience it because we allow the clutter of the lies of the enemy to just continue to tick away in the background like unclosed apps. And so at the end of the night, I, I, I come to the Lord and I think about it. I, I take the bread and I, I remember that the book of Isaiah says that surely he's borne our sorrows. So I think, it, what's, what's going on in my heart that's weighing me down? What am I heavy about? Okay, God, I've been, I've been really concerned for these people that we've been praying for. You know, and I'll, I'll lift them up by name and I'll, I'll apply Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God 
will guard your heart and mind. So rather than let the concern of that just tick away in the background, I lift it up to the Lord and I ask him about it. I thank him for it. And then I cast the care on him. And I put it on the bread, on his body, in faith. Surely you bore that for me. You bore my sorrow. So I see it going out of my heart and out of my mind and into, you, into your body. You, you bore it for me. And I'll just unpack. You know, I've been, I've been concerned about this. I've been struggling with this. And I talk to him about it. I ask him for help. I thank him. And then I see it on his body. And I just unpack all the things that are going on in my heart and my mind. And I put it on the body of Christ. Surely you bore my sorrows. Hallelujah. If there's any sickness, I see the sickness going from my body onto his body. Thank you, Lord. By your stripes, I'm healed. Hallelujah. And then I eat the bread and thank him that he carried that for me so that I can live in perfect peace. Hallelujah. Then I take the cup and the, I look at it and I think the color of the red and the blood that he shed for me. And the, you know, I think about it as blood and think, it was real blood you shed for me. That was that's real judgment that you took. The wages of sin is death, God. And yet you I don't have to die and be eternally punished or ever face punishment or judgment for what I've done because of this, because of your blood. And I think about anything I've done that, that's grieved him and I talk to him about that and I tell him, I'm so sorry I grieved your heart. I thank you, you you forgave that before I ever did it. I'm so grateful. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sin. And I, 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 take, the, I take the cup in, in joyous thanksgiving and reverential awe of his kindness for me, remembering that he has, his blood has the power to cleanse me of a guilty conscience. Hallelujah. So I don't have to live in the hangover of guilt. Even if my heart condemns me, he's greater than my heart. And so I love, as Chris says, I'm not a believer, I'm a believer. The just shall live by faith. So you've got to believe. It's an act of your, your deliberate stepping into faith. I believe I am clean. I'm righteous. Hallelujah. And any lies that the enemies come and said, you're selfish, you're lazy, you're a hypocrite, I, will be, I can identify it and confront it and say, this is what the Lord says, as he is, so am I in this world. And I, I bring the word of the Lord and I confront it and I shut it down with his word, like shut. Because it's the little, little foxes that spoil the vine of our love. I love actually the Song of Songs in the Passion Translation. It's magnificent. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, but he says, let's catch them together. And you know, that's an important thing. God wants you to be vigilant about the intruders that come into your brain. You, you don't be passive about it. If someone walked into your bedroom in the middle of the night, you wouldn't go, oh, just roll over. You'd freak out and you'd do something about it, right? In America, they do serious things about it, you know, but like, <laughs> I know about Americans. But you, you've got to, 
you you've got to be like that with the enemy and with the with the uh, the lies that he brings you must not tolerate it because if you tolerate it they go and get their friends it's true if you just try to ignore it and you panic about it and you think, oh, what's that evil thought? Why am I having that thought? Oh, I'm going to pretend I'm not even having that thought. No, you recognize the enemy is often he's bringing temptation to satisfy a natural need that you have in an unholy way. And you can, you've got the sword of the Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit ready to help you in every temptation. He's just waiting for you to activate what you've been given and use it to put those things out. Hallelujah. And any lies that he brings, it, he is trying to clutter your mind, steal your peace, because your peace is linked to your confidence. And so this is why it's so important that we deal with these little foxes that we unpack. Amen? Hallelujah. You know, I really believe that it's so powerful and so important for us to begin to recognize that God has called us to live in perfect peace. Very often, when the enemy comes, the Bible says that the, a wolf comes in sheep's clothing often, right? But the wolf that he dresses up as most, I mean, the, the sheep that the wolf dresses up as most is actually you. He dresses up to pretend that he is your thoughts. So he comes and tries to make you believe that that thought you're having is coming from you. Because if you think that you're having to fight yourself, you'll just get depressed and frustrated and condemned and concerned. But if you recognized it as an intruder coming into your bedroom, coming into your, into your space, into your mental space, then you can deal with it. Hallelujah. That's why the wolf dresses up as a sheep. He dresses up as your own thoughts because he thinks that if you think it's your own thought, you won't, be, you won't fight it. You'll just try to hide it. So when you recognize, I have a pure heart, I have the mind of Christ, any thought that you have about yourself or about anything that doesn't line up with who he is clearly comes from the enemy. So the Bible tells us, take captive Every thought that exalts itself above what? The knowledge of Christ. Anything that you, any thought you have about yourself that doesn't line up with the knowledge of Christ, of who Christ is, needs to be taken captive, cast down, and replaced with truth. So if you have any thoughts going on in your head, I'm not really in a good spiritual place. Is that exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ? Because the Bible says, as he is, so am I in this world. Is Christ in a good spiritual state? Yes, he is. So, though you may not have been, you may not have been praying, you may not have been um, walking properly uh, and, and it, with the Lord, you may not have been spending much time in the word of God, that does not define who you are. You need to remember who you are by reminding yourself, thank you, God. Okay, I haven't been a doer of the word because I haven't been remembering what I actually look like. Remember we said last night from the book of James, if any man's a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's because he's looked at his natural face in a mirror and then walked away and forgotten what he looks like. So say you've been through a, a, a space, a time where you've forgotten what you look like. 
you haven't been looking in the mirror of his face. You haven't been looking in the mirror of his word. And you've forgotten what you look like. You've, you've stopped reading the word. You've stopped praying. Well, the enemy then, he doesn't fight fair. He comes in and he tells you, you're a bad Christian. You're a hypocrite. You're not doing very well. That is still a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. It's a thought that is not true about your identity because your identity is not based on your performance. It's based on his performance. But we as humans, we evaluate according to our performance. When we remember the truth of what he says about us, then as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When I start to remember, that's right, I have a pure heart. I have the mind of Christ. I have the motives of Christ. I have the nature of Christ. When I remember that, then I'm filled again with faith to live from that place. But if I buy the lie that I'm a hypocrite, that I haven't got everything it takes, that I've still got a long way to go, then I have no faith to step out into that um, character, into that fruit, because it looks like something I'm chasing after and trying to attain. But 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that we therefore have everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. We become partakers of the divine nature. Hallelujah. So freedom looks like walking in truth, applying truth. We can have a whole bunch of knowledge, but unless we apply it, it's of little use to us. We can be overcome and overrun by these little foxes that want to clutter up the space in our heart that God wants to fill with supernatural peace and supernatural joy. Amen? I hope this is making sense. Is this making sense to you? You know, and I think, I think it, was, it was either, uh, we, all, we all preach from the same book. Uh, it might have been Liam, it might have been Chris. <laughs> Good stuff, hey. It's called the Bible. You should read it. It's really awesome. Um, when we read about the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, the devil comes to Jesus after he's been fasting for 40 days. He is hungry. Genuinely hungry. He has a natural desire. I'm hungry. He can feel it. I can guarantee you he felt hungry. In fact, the Bible says he was hungry. So the enemy comes in with an unholy solution to a natural desire. He says, when you turn those stones into bread, they look a bit like bread. When you turn them into bread. He didn't turn up with horns and a pitchfork. Say, I'm the devil. Why don't we do this? Jesus was tempted in the same way that we are tempted, right? Do you get tempted by the enemy turning up with a pitchfork and horns in physical form? It doesn't happen often. <laughs> Normally it comes as a thought, right? So he's got this natural desire and then this thought comes, turn these stones into bread. Rather than going, What's wrong with me? How can I be having a horrible thought? Oh, no, I better go back into the wilderness and fast for another 40 days to deal with my flesh. He recognizes instantly that's a thought exalting itself against the truth of who I actually am. In fact, the enemy comes and he directly questions his identity, says, if you are the son of God. The enemy is always trying to steal your identity and he's always trying to... Um, 
to deceive you. But Jesus just instantly recognized where it came from and he answered, saying, um, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I love it. When I look at it, I think, you know, I look at the temptations of Jesus and, and I realize there's nothing the enemy can offer that God hasn't got a plan to give you much better in that very same area. If you think about it, Jesus became the bread of life. He fed people for, and he will continue to feed people for eternity. He multiplied bread to the multitudes. He, his very body became bread that get, would give life to us today. How much better than a momentary fix? Nothing the enemy tempts you with is better than what God wants to give you in the very area you're tempted. That's happy news. And so Jesus didn't go around living in the hangover of guilt. He didn't come out of the wilderness and question himself. I can't believe I had those thoughts. What's wrong with me? Why was I having those terrible thoughts? I must have some, what's, what's going on in my heart? I've got to deal with my heart. You know, he didn't think like that, did he? But we often do. What's wrong with me? Why is I having that lustful, lustful thought? What's wrong with me? What am I, what's, have I, oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry. And we start repenting for, what, for a thought that was not even our own. Because we've bought the lie from a wolf that's dressed up in sheep's clothing. I do. I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry, sorry, I had that thought. Actually, you didn't. It was being presented to you. And when you recognize what it is, you can behave just like Jesus. Recognize that a natural desire is not a bad thing. But it, unholy solutions to natural desire is where sin gets conceived. It takes two to conceive. He comes trying to tempt you to, to partner with him. But when you recognize where it's coming from, you can, by faith, remember God has something better for me in that very area that you're trying to tempt me with. And I have the word of God and I have power, hallelujah, to resist you and receive the abundant life that God's got for me. What you are offering is only going to lead to death. What God offers leads to life and life more abundant. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anyway, that's happy. I think we need to live free from the hangover of guilt and shame and condemnation. I don't know about you, but I think we do live in a hangover far too often. I've never had a hangover because I've never been drunk, but I've heard it's pretty yucky. Anyone? No, don't. Lift your hands. <laughs> but I think we live in a hangover of guilt and shame and condemnation far too much. It takes up the space that God wants to fill with righteousness, peace, and joy. What does it look like to truly live as the just? To employ faith in the one that you know loves you more than life. And to walk in holiness and righteousness and purity by faith. Living in perfect peace, knowing I'm not judged, I don't have to be afraid. I'm accepted, I'm clean, I'm holy. And to live in a place where the fullness of joy is allowed to flood and fill your heart without, without any fear of, of foreboding or dread coming to rob you. These are the people that the world is waiting to encounter. You want to go and be the light of the world? 
then live intentionally, shutting down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Any thought you have about yourself that isn't measuring up with who he is needs to be cast down and replaced with truth. You need to deliberately, intentionally shoot the little foxes. Take the word of God, shut down the apps and make room in your heart for the fullness of God to fill you continually to overflowing. You need to let him lift up your head so you can drink deeply from the river of his pleasure for you. Hallelujah. And not turn aside to lies that will take you down a back alley and beat you up. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Here endeth the lesson. Shalabakanda. Does that make sense? I'm pursuing a life of living continually in freedom. Because I believe that, you know, we've been given this incredible gift, everything pertaining to life and godliness, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But I'm not content for it to be theory. I'm not content for it to be knowledge. I want it to be experience applied in my life. And Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, but he didn't apply all the wisdom that he had, did he? He made a mess for the generations to come. Wisdom that is unapplied is simply knowledge that puffs up. If we don't intentionally apply what we know and practically discipline ourselves, it's not a bad word, to, to lay hold of what he's laid hold of for us, to deliberately, intentionally stand firm, therefore, in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us, remembering, actively reminding myself, okay, hang on, I'm not going to fall back into the doldrums of how I've felt in the past. I am going to intentionally lay hold of peace. This is what the Bible says. This is, says how I can walk in peace. For, uh, um, Philippians 4, I can unpack it all. I can talk to him and give him thanks. And he promises I'll be able to live in perfect peace. He says, I can lift up my head and drink deeply from the river of his pleasure for me. He says in his presence is fullness of joy. So I'm not going to live with an absence of peace and joy in my life. I'm going to take it. I'm going to have it today. I'm going to shoot everything that doesn't line up with the truth of what he says about me. And I am going to take control of the space around my head and my heart that he may fill it that I might be today the, the just who lives not by my feelings but by my faith in the goodness of God and his grace hallelujah amen amen hallelujah you know we are we are so privileged in the west with so much good stuff how much we know. But how foolish we are when we know stuff and don't put it to use. Oh God, let us begin to pick up the mantle you've given and strike the water. You now Elisha went after the double portion from, from Elijah, didn't he? He was like, I'm not going to change my focus until I get it. And then finally he saw Elijah go up. He wouldn't be put off by distractions. And then the mantle dropped. But he didn't just pick it up and walk away. He picked it up and he immediately put it to work. He struck the water, expecting, where is the Lord God of Elijah? I'm going to see it because I've got it now. This is what we do. Now that I've got this, this is what I do. 
we haven't received a double portion from Elijah. But we did see someone else go up. That was Jesus. And he said, the same works I do and greater works. I like to put to you that we've been given a double portion of the anointing the Messiah walked in. Well, that's better news than any of you are reacting to right now. Like, Elisha received a double portion of the mantle of Elijah. Jesus was taken up to heaven. He said, the same works that I do and greater works shall you do. This is an invitation begging your response. You can have it and you can die with it or you can pick it up and you can manifest it and activate it by faith in his goodness. Amen. I believe the Holy Spirit is just groaning and waiting. He's, he's longing for you to wake up and realize what you've got. What are you going to do with the Son of God? Hallelujah. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Papa. I just see people's chests breaking open right now with revelation. God has put within you the desire, the desire to see his glory manifested on earth as it is in heaven, to see the sick healed. To see nations changed. And the dreams that he has are beyond your capacity in the natural to fulfill because you weren't called to do it on your own. As Chris says, it's not me, it's we. He and I together. I, I know that the Lord is wanting to speak to you and say, Blessed are you who has believed, for there will be a fulfillment of these things promised to you. Will you believe? Will you take up the mantle that has been thrown your way? And will you put it to use? Father, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, that you would move, Father, on each and every heart and that you would activate afresh the dreams you've put in their, that you've put in their hearts. Lord, that they would begin to think not as mere humans, but as those that have been crucified with Christ, raised up with him and are now seated with him in heavenly places. That they would uh, begin to think like kings and priests and that they would begin to walk on the earth as one who knows that as he is, so am I in this world. Father, I ask that you'd build an excitement in their hearts, Lord, to truly believe that all things are possible for those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you.